The Incomparable, number 217, October 2014. Welcome, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. We welcome past listeners. We welcome new listeners just discovering us with this very episode. This is a podcast where we talk about many things, including old movies that we watch and then talk about. And in this case, we are watching uh, a classic uh, sci-fi horror thing, something, starring the governor of California. Um, I am referring to 1984's The Terminator, directed by James Cameron and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger in a role that uh, he says like less than 100 words. Joining me to talk about the first of the Terminator movies, it's an all-star panel of, uh, of, of uh, I don't know, even know where I'm going, of people who watch this movie. <laughs> David Lore is here. Hello, David. Hello. When when you said the governor of California, I did have a split second where I thought Jerry Brown, and I really want to see that movie. See, I was going to say it's Gray Davis as the Terminator. Oh, I want to see that one, too. Deep, that's a, he bores you to death. That's how that one works. Uh, Erica Ensign is also here and saw this movie. Yes. I, I yes, I've seen it a few times. Oh, One of those times was recently. Good, excellent. That's what we're looking for. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And Steve Lutz, who I believe watched it twice recently. First, I'm gonna rip the buttons off your blouse <laughs> one by one. <laughs> Ew. Ah, uh, it was either that or don't make me bust you up, man. Yeah, yeah. I like that guy, that character, Matt or Bunky come, come, or whatever, come whatever his with name me is. If you want to live. <laughs> Yes, I did watch this movie twice recently. All right. Over the past week. Actually, two and a half times because the Netflix DVD skipped midway through during a key scene. And so I had to go out and buy the Blu ray. Oh, nice. Which I'm happy I did because uh, this movie is, uh, is a, a long time favorite of mine. Although, having not watched it in probably a couple of decades and watched it again twice this week. It, it's it's not quite as much of a favorite as it used to be. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not the only one that felt that way. <laughs> it, it has it has a lot of issues. Um, I I I actually watching it back, uh, I like it, but it's not. It has a lot of issues. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose we'll get to get to all of this. Um, it. it it started a it started a franchise. It's hard to watch it without. I saw the second one first. I never. I, I. It was only after Terminator Two became a huge hit in the '90s that I went back and watched the original Terminator. I think it has a kind of a charm, a low budget, kind of an '80s. Very. This is the most '80s movie I've seen in a long time. By the it's way, it's pretty '80s. Yeah, like Linda Hamilton's hair is and her clothes and oh, yeah. the play, oh, yeah. the the street she walks down in the the, in the club. Music. And the tech noir club in particular. Yeah. yeah. Our first introduction to Sarah Connor is is her riding her Honda scooter. Oh, yes. Her enormous hair feathered to within an inch of its life. She's got on a pink backpack, some sort of teal scoop neck, members only like jacket, acid washed guest jeans. Oh, yes, yes. She is the 1980s in this scene. And it's all brought home to you in that one moment. It's wondrous. I mean, the music is so 80s. I It's it's 80s synth. I felt like I was watching a live action video game. And because it's so low budget, none of it is is licensed music. So it's all like anonymous mu- music by some friend of James Cameron yeah. or something. It's all the same guy. I believe it. I didn't mind. <laughs> it's pretty bad. So, so here's my opinion about the music is, <laughs> is I didn't mind the Yamaha piano synthesizer mood music <laughs> where it was like, this is li- sort of sounds like a piano. 
I did mind, and there's actually, it's very jarring when they have their, not to just jump to the end of the movie, but since we're talking about the music, they, they, you know, they, uh, Sarah and, and Kyle have their moment, and it's sort of in this, in this calm, peaceful piano music. And then the Terminator appears, and we immediately get just this, this, just synth bomb that happens. It's, it's very Casio. The phrase I wrote down in my notes is "action syntho pulse music is shitty." That's <laughs> what I wrote down. Wow. <laughs> You know, I I do have notes on on that scene between <laughs> between the two of them because that's that is my favorite scene in the whole movie because I'm a big sloppy, you know, <laughs> girl. Does, does that scene still play well for you these many years later? It really does. I st- I got tears this time just like I do every single time, and I I really did like the music in that part. I think because it was so different from the rest the of, rest the, of the movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't this big. Sw- I, these days, when you get a scene like that in movies, quite often you get this big swelling bit of music that's telling you what you're supposed to feel. Doctor Who, I'm looking at you. Yeah. Or you um, get Hallelujah. Yeah, in oh. this case, it was super minimal, and like it just it leaves the viewer to feel however they want to feel about that scene without the you know the, I hate being directed by music sometimes, and uh, and I like that. But then I think I blocked out the fact that the synth popped in again so soon afterwards. Even something like <laughs> Miami Vice, I remember from this era, um, they had their the, you know Michael Mann liked to do the occasional moody moody part. So there'd be the moody part, and it would be that quiet kind of tinkly synth piano and that was like i think they did that that has aged better <laughs> because it was it was meant to be low key although i think the bum 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 oh, the drum thing bum bum is great bum. still works pretty well oh yeah that's the part that they kept using right yes we have jumped ahead i, I did want to say after saying that this is no longer a huge favorite of mine um that i i still like it a lot and largely because i can mm. remember how great it seemed in 1984 when it came out and uh, and how different it was than a lot of the other i'm not sure what to, to as you mentioned earlier it's it's a, it's a little hard to categorize this into a genre i mean it there's fe- a lot it, of there's a lot of horror it elements it feels in like it, a horror movie mixed with a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. but there's there's not enough of like the kind of the tense quiet uh, you know somebody's going to jump out at you moments to really be a horror movie so there's a lot of action more technically, I guess I would say it's a monster movie. Yeah, okay, sure, mm-hmm. I, I could see that. But then it's wrapped in sort of that uh, that that um, time, time travel. Cri- it's like a candy sci-fi coating. tortilla around this, <laughs> this burrito of the film. You're just making me hungry. Yeah, yeah. I think I need to eat something. The uh, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the um, the her riding up in her scooter. At the beginning, when we first see Sarah, and this isn't where the movie starts, but since since you mentioned, it, I'm going to wind it back just to to mention that I watched this with my wife, and uh, I and I was commenting on the scooter, which is like that so 80s, the boxy kind of scooter shape. It's a Honda Elite 120, and, and she's got Let's her hair and all that, and then and then she gets off, and my and and, and Lauren just says. It's it's not the scooter. It's the acid washed gas jeans that yes. really put it over the top. Yep. It is, but but one of the things I love about that is um, even when even now it, it helps you read as like this is not somebody whose fate 
determines the fate of the human race, right? That's the whole no. point is she's, she's this trendy. totally unassuming person. She's the kind of gal that gets ice cream scooped into her pocket at her waitressing <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> I, and you got the Blu-ray. I, I rented the HD version from iTunes. And that's the other thing I remember is when I did watch this movie for the first time, which was after Terminator 2 came out, it was a really terrible SD, uh, you know, TV, probably TV network transfer. And it was awful. And yeah. it looks a lot better cleaned up. They cleaned it up pretty well. And it's still, it is what it is. But um, it was nice to see it in HD. Too. I did originally see this movie uh, long before Terminator 2, I think mainly because I had heard it had horror elements and I was always kind of into horror as a kid. Um, but it, it, in my recollection, this movie seemed like it just came and went from the theaters almost instantly. Uh, and, and where it really got huge was on video, just through word of mouth of people who had seen it. Um, I've since read that, uh, that it actually is considered kind of a modest hit uh, of, of the time period that it was released in, which I think was like late October which is not a particularly high season for, uh, for, for movies. So to mm -hmm. call it a hit at that point doesn't mean a whole lot. But it, it really doesn't surprise me that it wasn't like a gigantic blockbuster because if, if you look at the marketing from the trailer to the, the poster, which is just like Arnold's face, uh, it looks absolutely awful <laughs> based on all of, the, all of the PR. I mean, the trailer is so bad. It looks like a, an ultra-low budget just piece of crap and none of the... <laughs> None of the interesting effects or, you know, I guess it would kind of be a bit of a spoiler to show Arnold, you know, all torn up with the robot parts coming through him. So I guess it's good from that perspective, but it certainly doesn't make you want to run out and watch the movie. So uh, this movie starts, by the way, with um, the year 2029, Los Angeles in the most 80s computer font ever. <laughs> You know, I always forget that it starts in the future. I mean, as many times as I've watched this, I, I always forget about how much happens in, in the future with the crazy models and all the little skulls disintegrating and stuff. It makes me happy every time. All over Most again. of which is surprisingly well done, I've got to yeah. say. Mm -hmm. There are parts of this that don't hold up well, but I think a lot of that, particularly the big uh, treaded um, gigantic robot that that drives around crushing massive piles of skulls, skulls. and shooting at people. That's a lot of skulls. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very well done piece of work right there. It looks fairly authentic even today. Yeah, and they've got the um, and and then it comes back. Not only is there the beginning, but then there's this sort of future flash forward that happens later in the movie. So we spend more time than I ever remember in this movie uh, mm -hmm. seeing this this future wasteland with the rusty like rusty cars from the eighties <laughs> that that are driving around. Uh, but it's pretty cool. And 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 then. One of the things I really like is that this is obviously the theme that Cameron is trying to have in this movie is about the machines because we see these giant machines in the future and then the next thing we see is like that big the trash like, truck dump truck tow truck whatever it is yeah. another huge machine in the present and this throughout this movie we keep seeing robots and machines and stuff like that to say you know basically they're here they are they're all around mm -hmm. us kind of thing but i like it I, I, it wasn't it didn't seem totally hammered home it was it was more it was, I thought, really nicely done when, when we get to the present mm -hmm. and there's that big truck. Well, it's cool, too, because for a second, you're not aware that you're in the present. So right. you know, exactly. you're looking again right. at uh, the lift arms on this trash truck and you're thinking, oh, well, we're still in the post-apocalyptic <laughs> future. And then, then the I driver am. says, what the hell? And opens the film <laughs> with that line. And just a few scenes later, you get the little toy truck being completely crushed mm -hmm. under the tread of uh, a bigger of vehicle big truck, of some yeah. sort. So it's <laughs> right. like, oh, that's not a skull, but it, you know, I get it. I get it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that. That was <laughs> that's how mean the Terminator is is that he drives over somebody's toy truck. Oh. Bad guy. So so the Terminator appears in a flash of lightning and stuff and he's totally naked. Yes, we could see an awful lot of Arnold. A lot of Arnold. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh he's got um he he visits with a a quartet of punks. It's a trio. A trio of punks, you're right. Yes. A trio of punks, one of whom is Bill Paxton. Yes. <laughs> I had never noticed that before. That's another thing I always forget. I knew that, but I always forget that he's in this. And the and, and one of whom is the guy who played the alien bounty hunter in the X-Files. Yes, I totally mm-hmm. that was this was the first time I picked that out. And he was also one of the master's apprentices in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that first season of that. He, he's been Brian something or other. He's been in a million things, but I was like, "Hey, it's that guy." Uh so he, he so the Terminator uh, give me a close. There's some words, David. <laughs> Your clothes gives him to me now. Yeah. Nice night for a walk. <laughs> well, in in one respect, it's nice that this film doesn't have very many Arnold uh, lines because we can recite them all over the course of this podcast. <laughs> That's right. There's no reason to hold back. And then, and then uh, Michael Bean shows up as well. Yay! And, Sorry. And he gets his '80s clothes. And, and this is this is the parallel. So we've got. It's hard to put yourself in the mind of the film goer of the '80s. Well, Steve, you you sat through this movie. Up front, we're not. It's not really clear who. Uh, who Schwarzenegger really is, uh, that he's a robot. In fact, it seems like the movie is trying to play with like this question of, is is Michael Bean good or bad even at this point? Although I think it's pretty mm-hmm. clear that he's going to be good. Yeah, I think um, just by virtue of the fact that you've got one guy that's clearly evil, you know, he picks up and kills a punk. People. Although that's a punk. not necessarily a bad thing. He could be annoying. Uh, <laughs> so you assume that the guy that comes after him is the cop, right? Yeah. The one thing though that that bothers me a little bit is uh, is as Reese is running from the cops, he he does a little bargain clothes shopping, which is <laughs> which is sort of amusing. He's he's so <laughs> ill concerned about the police that are chasing him that he takes the time to measure the shoes up to his feet and make sure they're going to fit. Well, he knows these are these are softies. These are these are folks yeah. that are alive before the big war. So right. he thinks he can probably take them. Well, he's covered with scars, which we've already seen. I mean, that first shot of him getting up from Ooh. the the ground, he's. Mm. He's got all sorts of very old, very nasty-looking scars on his back, so we already know he's pretty tough. But that just kind of drives the point home. He's, you know, he's picking out a nice shirt yep. and uh, and some and some cool kicks, uh, some Nikes, which may be a, an early instance of some product placement. Although this is so low budge, I doubt that that actually happened. But but the thing that bothers me is he still is wearing the pants that he pulled off of the bum in the alley. Yes, <laughs> and he never changes. <laughs> Several times during the movie, I just looked at him and thought, you know, those pants probably smell like pee. That's what I'm thinking. And the whole love scene, (laughs) that's all performed with the pee-soaked pants. Oh, why did you go and ruin it for me like that? These are the... (laughs) No, no, no. That is how strong their love is. They were truly meant to be because she can get past the pee smell. Right. Well, I mean, he has that that sweet line that he lays on her. I came across time for you, sir. Yes. Now, that... For, you know that's a quality line because it, it, it had to be to overcome the fact that he's still wearing the bum's pee bum's, pants. Bum's pants, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, he's got to be rancid, that whole thing. And I'm just wondering, you know, why don't you pick out some new pants? And I'm thinking maybe he's cool with it. Maybe he likes it. Well, in the future, in the machine holocaust, uh, those bum's pants are considered clean. That's a good point. Ah, point. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough in the future. He, he it's a, it's a it's a smell of home in fact 
I bet that, I bet you. <laughs> the other thing here is we're introduced to Reese that's a little strange is that uh, he also has some pretty serious hair feathering going on. <laughs> Every style comes back around eventually. Mm. But of all the things to survive the apocalypse, I, I would never have expected the Brian Adams haircut to make it, but <laughs> <laughs> he's got it. And it's, it's pretty well groomed for a, a future dude. He wears it well. That, that's an effect of the, uh, of the time travel. I think, Steve. It feathers your hair. There's <laughs> a lot of right? electricity in there. It, it yeah. like strips off your clothes, feathers your hair, kind of mooses you a little bit. Oh. If you go to the 80s, maybe some other decade, the hairstyle is different. But in the 80s, I think that's what happens. So when we perfect time travel, basically, you get up in the morning, time travel forward one minute, and then you're done for you know your preparations for the day. All you got to do is put on some deodorant. Oh, wow. I want that. <laughs> Forget this going back in time and killing Hitler business. I just want the, the haircut. <laughs> I just don't want to do my hair. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so there's another lady, nice lady named Sarah Connor who is, has the unfortunate. This, this movie, by the way, brought to you by the phone book. Pour one out for the <laughs> cell phone, pay phones, and the phone book. Let your fingers do the walking. <laughs> yeah, isn't it a little strange that uh, the last remaining humans were still able to give Reese the special training needed to look in the phone book and use it? <laughs> well, there's probably an elder, a tribal elder in yeah. 2020 that says, think back he's got in a those pages? days, there was phone books. Well, they probably have a bunch of bo- phone books somewhere, and they're just using them as like toilet paper or something. <laughs> they got them from a warehouse. I assume in the nuclear holocaust, they all burnt up, right? Oh, no. But he knows, and and Arnold knows, and I can sort of I can sort of understand why the Terminator would know because that probably is in the database somewhere. It's in the program. Well, they're they're going to say, look, you, there is no searchable anything on the internet right now. So you know, so what you're going to have to do on the Skynet. So what you're going to have to do is there are these printed directories, and you'll look in them. And so so there are three Sarah Connors in L.A. Fortunately, our Sarah Connor is the third one, and right. so. Uh, we visit we visit uh, the nice lady Sarah Connor who is horribly murdered by the the Terminator, uh, which is our first first hint Arnold Schwarzenegger or I guess it's not even the first hint he's a bad guy and he's coming for Sarah Connor, very bad guy. Yeah. Meanwhile, Michael Bean has seen a large machine at a construction site, and I think if those pants didn't already smell like pee. <laughs> Yeah, and then he has a little flash forward of big machines that kill everybody in that the beach of skulls. Where, where are the other body parts, I ask you? Do they collect the skulls and make like piles of skulls and in another place there's like ribs? Uh, the skulls tend to tend to be on top. They're well organized. As the people get shot, all of the, the other bones drop and then the skulls land on top. They had a use for the other body parts. They are machines. They might like to put them and like organize them and sort them. Oh, that's a good point. Well, they may have a whole cadre of humans that just sort the bones Bone and put sorters, all the skulls yeah. in one spot. Like the guys that, that have to run the disposal units all day and night. Yeah. There's also bone sorters. That's good. That makes me that makes me feel better. I don't know what that, that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about his next flash forward there? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. When he sees the uh, the construction machine. I, I really liked it because, I mean, when I think about this movie overall, it's, it's your stereotypical, a dude goes back in time and he's saving a lady and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But when he cuts forward, his his fellow soldier who's running around with him and and trying to take out the giant machines is a woman. Yep. So I just I thought that was really cool right right at the beginning there that you see that yeah in the future maybe the gender lines aren't going to be quite so strictly drawn because uh you know we just need to survive and ignore all of that BS that that sort of comes along with it now. So like that that scene really perked me up this time watching it. Yeah, and there's the whole line later where he says that the women of his time are good fighters. That's the first thing that comes to his mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I like it. 
Of course, she gets killed, but just about well, everybody yeah. in the future gets killed. So that's just. Uh, I think she cool. largely disintegrates, and maybe the skull is all that's left. Oh. Ah, maybe that's how it works. Could be. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that line later where he's like, I, I, "You know, they're 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 warriors. They're very strong warriors. Women are in the future. What do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> so Lance Henriksen and Paul Winfield, '80s cops. They're the original lethal weapons. So excited to see the guy from right. Wrath of Khan and yeah. recognize him for once. And Mr. Millennium. Yep. Oh, I have such a huge Lance Henriksen crush. <laughs> He'll always He's... be bishop to me. Ah, uh, yes. He well, he, yes. Well, that's, I think yeah. that's the source of my uh, Lance Henriksen will crush. will be bishop. Actually. This is mm-hmm. true. You're right. And, you know, rightly so. Absolutely. So um, they're, they're in the 80s police <laughs> precinct. <laughs> and before that, we have the great scene in the gun shop. With Arnold picking out his oh, new... Oh, is that uh, before that? Okay. Yeah, he's, he's picking out his new, uh, his armory, his portable armory. So if you own a gun shop, wouldn't you be hesitant to give people um, the materials to arm themselves and then kill you and take the guns? It does seem a little odd. Although this gun shop owner does make a point of saying any one of these is ideal for home defense as Arnold as Arnold is looking at his Uzi 9mm. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he might not be entirely balanced to begin with. Hey, this guy looks like the governor. I'll trust him. Mm. They got the time wrong there. <laughs> totally. It's <laughs> a little early. Here's where we get roughly two-thirds of Arnold's lines as he reads off the <laughs> list yes. of guns that he's... What about the phase plasma cannon? Do you have one of those? <laughs> In the 40-watt range? Yeah. It's just what you see here, bub. <laughs> All right, then I will kill you now. And that's, <laughs> that's the whole scene. Wrong. Well, that's, that might be his very first, that wrong right there might be his very first quip. Huh? I'm not sure he got any legitimate quip. Arnold quips in Conan. Mm. I, I like the, um, when the cops, I think it is, call Sarah Connor, um, they get the, the annoying answering, answering machine that I think is her roommate. Yes. And that that's great because again we're talking about these all these machine things that happen in this movie and that's the hi there fooled you you're talking, you're to, talking a machine. to a machine <laughs> yep. yeah oh but then it follows right. up with oh but machines need love too yes <laughs> yep <laughs> oh ginger no, it doesn't go well for her yes it seems a little odd that the they would send the car that's watching Sarah's house out on a call mm-hmm. in order for Arnold to walk up to the house yeah that's bad luck. It's not well. It's just not good policing. I'll tell you that. No, <laughs> no. Well, Lance Henriksen would be very angry about it later if he weren't dead. Dead. Sniffle. Timing is everything. So, so, um, Sarah Connor is being stalked by Michael Bean, which is funny. She knows he's following her, and she's uh, she's kind of creeped out by that. So she ducks into a swinging nightclub called <laughs> Tech Noir. I know it. It's on Pico. <laughs> It is on Pico. I know that. Yeah, I find Everybody it hard to believe that 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 middle-aged police detective Paul Winfield knows exactly where Tech Noir, this this crappy like restaurant converted into a really awful nightclub, is. They've probably, they've probably had to break up some breakdancing competitions that got out of control or something. Yeah, I just like I felt like the idea that 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 was just giving us a little bit of a, a backstory for him in a very subtle way. I, I think his character fleshed out a little bit for me when he gave that line. He knows. He also used to work the beat on Pico and so he knows where all the 
businesses are on that's much less interesting yeah than you're thoughts, right but sure. you're right also tech noir probably has only been there for about uh, like five days because i have a hard time <laughs> believing it's a long-serving member of the uh, los angeles club scene i think both winfield and hendrickson make the make the best of their few moments on screen in this movie mm-hmm. given given how yeah. little time they have i think we get a pretty good fleshing out of their characters you know winfield of course the long-suffering uh lieutenant and uh, and Henriksen, you know, he's he's got a lot of stories he'd like to tell, but the chief never lets him get to the end of the, to, to the good part. And he's endlessly amused by things he's seeing, but the the chief keeps him in line. It's they're both pretty entertaining in this. They, they don't seem they seem competent too, right? I mean, they're 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 dealing with something that's completely outside of their of their sphere of understanding, and they got they talk about it's the phone book killer, <laughs> catchy name. Well, they're actually pretty fast by uh, by by uh, standards of these kinds of movies that they pick up on it after only two kills. Mm. Any other horror movie, it would take at least three or four different uh, different kills, and then it would still be the cops kind of figuring out that there's a phone book killer that we'd be watching instead of and refusing to believe it for no good yeah, reason. Right. right? Yeah. There's not enough time in the in this movie for them to be like that, right? Because and, and not enough budget to keep them around that many days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've only got this police precinct for these two scenes. That's right. <laughs> Make them count. Yep. <laughs> There actually is a, a little bit of a deleted scene content with uh, with Lieutenant Traxler, Paul Winfield, where he gradually comes to believe Michael Bean's story. Ah, uh. it was uh, it was, and in the end, as they're leaving the building and he's bleeding out, he tells he tells Kyle, you know, you got to keep her safe. But it, it really was pretty extraneous, <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> he didn't really need a character arc. It's actually a little better when he's just. Kind of the anonymous police chief that dies. Technoir may be my favorite thing in this entire movie, I've decided, because <laughs> it is like the dis- distilled 80s. In Oh, yeah. No, that's 80s free base right there. It, it is mm. so amazing. But we cut away from Technoir to visit with Ginger and her boyfriend, Rick Rosovich <laughs> from Top Gun. Don't make me bust you up, man. And <laughs> Roxanne, right? He's the dumb... Is he the, is that's he, right. Yeah. Yes, yes, he is. That's yeah. where I recognize yeah. him from. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, here's here's we got some more message that James Cameron's laying down here because Ginger, after having sex with her boyfriend, decides she really wants a giant sandwich. <laughs> so she put, hey, I'm not going to argue. So with she that. puts on her. I mean, a giant not like, not a little a giant sandwich. So like a Dagwood kind of sandwich. <laughs> this is a writer who understands women. So she puts on her. She puts on her Walkman. And I feel like this is a commentary on, you know, we're shutting out our world. She's going to, she it's the middle of the night or whatever. She's putting on her Walkman. She's going to make herself a giant sandwich. And as a result, she doesn't even realize that there's a killer cyborg in her uh, apartment until it's far too late. That's the scene that really, it just plays out like a slasher, yeah. a slasher flick there. That was when yeah. that was when I was watching it, realizing this time how much more the horror stands out than the science fiction. Uh, than yeah. When I think about it in, in hindsight, I always remember the sci-fi bit because I think it's the story that really appeals to me. But then watching it play out, it was it was a lot more horror-y. And yeah. I definitely agree that the, uh, you know, the, the headphones was another nod to machines, yep. you know, yeah. they're, they're troublesome. Well, that's actually very similar to a scene in... Halloween, where I think it's PJ Souls is raiding the fridge while Michael uh, is creeping up on her. So that may even be in the category of homage. But yeah, it, it plays out very mm-hmm. horror esque, especially as she's continuing to make her sandwich as her boyfriend is being kicked all around the room. Yeah. 
seriously, look at look at that sandwich. It is it is the biggest sandwich you will ever see. <laughs> it is awesome. Even if I, she was I, making it for herself and him, uh, there would be room for for the Terminator to have some. It is a huge sandwich. That's all I'm saying. I was <laughs> in my recollection of this film. I remember there actually having been more blood and guts. And uh, and having rewatched it, I thought, wow, there's there's very little. I mean, I, I mentioned that because this is the one scene as as the boyfriend pops out of the door and says hello, uh, and and Arnold then bursts out after. Um, he's he's a little bloody and a little beaten up and in bad shape, but it's it's really not bad. And uh, I, I remembered it being a lot more. I, I remember this the R rating having been earned a lot. To, it's a lot, a lot of cutting away. Of you know you you the gun goes up to to point it to the person's head and then you right. do a reverse shot and you hear the the bang of the gun but you don't see like their head explode and the brains fly out it's like it's the horror of you know what happened to them and yeah yeah and and I was I, I like the restraint but also it's cheaper so yeah <laughs> well there is that mm-hmm. he did learn from mm-hmm. Roger Corman after all huh? about how how to be cheap sure <laughs> cheap horror I mean I mean that as a compliment yeah, yeah. but yeah. No, well, and you could argue that you don't you don't need that. That's you don't. That's a different you kind don't. of movie, right? You can you can go with the blood and guts, or you can go with the, the the more psychological of you know. And that's the point here is this is a relentless killing machine. Well, that's yeah. the thing is I there isn't a lot of blood and guts, and yet I yeah. still remember it as having been pretty violent yeah. and pretty pretty bloody. And and in fact, that's that was just me. It's what you don't see. It, it, you know what what's in your head is going to be more horrific than anything they can show you. So if they don't show you anything. You're just like, oh, I know what that was. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's, <laughs> well, it's kind of like in Psycho. You never actually see the knife plunge right. into her body. But everyone goes, oh, yeah, I saw it over. She, it's over and over. No. Never happened. Um, let's see. Uh, come with me if you want to live. Now, Woo! I do want to say before we get to that particular <laughs> line that – of the things that I think still work pretty well in this movie, the scene in Tech Noir, Tech Noir where the slow-mo kind of kicks in yeah. and the, the crappy mm. 80s music slowly gets more and more muffled by the <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Right. That, that scene is still wonderfully tense and I think as effective as it was in 1984, which is good to see. This is the one scene, too, where you really get the payoff of, you know, the Terminator goes down, right? They're gunshots. He goes down. And 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 you earn that uh, like he's not dead because he's you know this magical creature. He's like a unicorn. You're just like him. Um, but yes. yeah, like I said, I like all the technoir stuff. But this is the moment. And again, I have this line in my head because it's repeated in the second Terminator movie right. from Arnold Schwarzenegger. But here, it's not. It's 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 uh, Kyle Reese who says Michael Bean who says, "Come with me if you want to live." And this is the moment where we know. Now it's been revealed he's a killer robot that's going to be trying to kill Sarah Connor. And we get a POV shot for the first time. We, get we a need car to talk chase. about the POV shot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the day, you know, in the VHS days, you could try to pause during the Terminator POV, uh, but you would get a bunch of jittery uh, tracking lines and that would be about it. You had no chance of ever reading what's actually on the screen during those POV shots. Nowadays, with Blu-ray, you can read it, and you can discover that you're looking at somebody's assembly code. Uh, with comments, no less. I'm not entirely sure why the T-101 was programmed with comments, <laughs> uh, including comments that read, Poke 16K RAM bank. So he's got a 16K bank of memory somewhere in, inside that metal skull. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. seems just a hair So it's like a Timex Sinclair. 
Yeah, so there's there's some pretty old code. You know, in some in some of these movies where you've got a, a cyborg or a robot POV, what you end up with, and I think Terminator 2 is like this, you, it actually is showing you, like, what the onboard computer system is 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 doing so it'll be like target and you know tracking sarah connor and all of that kind of stuff on the screen this movie makes no attempt to do that at all it's literally just like we'll put a red <laughs> thing so everything will look a little different we've got some computer crap that'll just yeah. appear and disappear i have Whatever. to give them some credit that they actually did use something that came from a computer as their computer <laughs> reference point I mean, a little bit later, you see an output of a run from KeyPerfect 4.0, which was a, a <laughs> checksum generator when you used to type in programs from magazines, and, mm-hmm. and you'd run this checksum generator to make sure you didn't mistype one of the various hex codes. Deep cuts, Steve. And so in, in this case, the file in question is overlay.object, O-V-L-Y.O-B-J. Wow. So I did, I did a little searching around for OVLY.obj on the internet, and it... Turns out that code was originally written by Harlan Ellison back in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve wins. <laughs> Acknowledgement to the computer programs of Harlan Ellison. I have no computer and I must code. Oh my But I, I saw KeyPerfect 4.0 and I just started crying with laughter because, <laughs> wow, you, you guys tried, but not, not so no, hard. Not, not so much. It did come from a computer. But it was nice of Skynet to leave the comments in in case anybody <laughs> wants to dissect Arnold later and figure out what makes his 16K RAM bank <laughs> yeah. work. Yeah. You know, I actually put in my notes that, that, that like I said, watching this was not as uh, quite as enjoyable as I sort of remembered. And I just put in my notes, this movie must have been before I got bored with car chases because uh, there's an awful mm-hmm. lot of car chasing yep. going on. And I find extended car chases and action scenes highly boring. Um, something like in the, the tech noir action se- sequence, that's, that is fun to me, that, that, that well, kind that, of thing. That's I a like. choreographed yeah, when it goes on and on, I I just I get I get a little bored. So I appreciated the exposition part of it, but I felt like it was the, the chasing didn't need to go on quite as long as it did. Well, and it's not just car chases either. Roughly two two thirds of this movie is somebody being chased. Yep. <laughs> yep. Right. It's either on foot or in cars. We get the cops chasing Reese through the department store. We get the giant future robot chasing Reese through the hellish futurescape. Terminator chases Reese and Sarah on foot from Tech Noir. Then there's a car chase. Then he chases him later on a motorcycle. Then he chases him in a fuel truck. Then the yep. skeleton chases Reese and Sarah through the machine <laughs> shop. <laughs> then the skeleton torso slow speed chases Sarah through the hydraulic press. Yep. And then thankfully the chases are over. But it's really very chase heavy film. Yeah, I felt like they could they could shorten it. They could shorten it down to like a half hour episode of of some TV show, and I would have probably been just like as happy with the, the outer, outer limits. limits. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Perfectly, yeah. Mm. See, the last chase is that the top of the press catches up with the bottom of the press. Oh, that's a good point. That's the last last chase. <laughs> well, and then maybe the kid like chases Sarah Connor to take her photo. Could be. There you go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then she's chasing a storm at the very end. Yeah, she is. I just realized there's probably like a 45-minute cassette tape somewhere in her Jeep about how to use the yellow pages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's good. The, um, this is the, in the, the exposition here is that uh, Reese tells her he's not a robot, he's a cyborg. This is going to happen in 40 years. It, uh, I wrote down, I, I do like this line a lot. It's the, it can't be bargained with or reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or fear. It won't stop until you're dead. 
Yeah. Um, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's what I like about about this monster movie, this horror movie that's also a sci-fi movie, is so often you get these you get these creatures that keep coming and you kill them and they, they're still alive and they keep coming. And here that's the premise of the Terminator is it will just keep coming. All it does is kill. It can't be reasoned with. You can't. So we get a uh, we get a car chase with some exposition. Kill it. I like that uh, she that Sarah buys into what Reese is telling her fairly, fairly quickly here, which is somewhat realistic given that she's just seen him, you know, shot with a shotgun multiple times and then get up. Right. But she, she initially tries to get away cause she's in a panic and then she eventually settles in that, you know, oh, uh, probably that guy shouldn't have been getting up and walking towards me. So we don't need yeah. to go through 20 minutes of her continuing to try to get away from Reese or, you know, any, right. any, any silliness yeah. like that. The line that I liked happened during that scene where, you know, she's trying to bite him or stab him or whatever it is. And, and he says to her, cyborgs don't feel pain. I do. Don't do that again. So it, yeah. it's a good line. And it also really just sort of delineates that difference between, you know, I am the human here who has come to help you. He is on the other side. You know, or I'm the good guy. And she she does get it pretty quick. Uh, also, after he he uh, while he's driving and he tells him about about the Terminator and all that, he then recounts the entire plot of Terminator Two, essentially, <laughs> conveniently <laughs> forward promoting the next movie in the series. I thought that was really nice. One thing that bothers me in this scene, I, I realize that Reese has to be scarred up noticeably, but did they have to stick one right under the corner of his mouth? <laughs> this whole scene, it looks like eye. he has a chunk of spaghetti stuck to his chin. <laughs> In the, in the parking garage, they have this uh, they have this rapid exchange of gunfire, followed by more cars driving around. It's a chase. Um, but but the the thing that really struck me about this is that after immediately following this massive exchange of gunfire, they're rolling in separate aisles, and the Terminators shooting out their windows, and they're shooting back, and all of that. As soon as that's over, Sarah is sitting there like she's um, going to the Seven Eleven or something. And that was a moment that really broke it for me where I thought, you know, she should be really freaked out. And she totally I think it's just something about the way it was directed or the way that they weren't thinking about it. It seemed like a mistake to me. She's just completely like she's just taking a ride somewhere. One thing that's always kind of bothered me about his whole long exposition on uh, the future and, and what went down <clears throat> he points out that the old Terminator models had rubber skin, but these new ones are much harder to spot. Yes. <laughs> it, it strikes me when we later see the hovel that he lives in and all of the emaciated people who eat nothing but gruel and rats. You know, just look for the gigantic Austrian. Yeah. That's probably your Terminator. <laughs> the one that's not all, you know, looks like he just got out of a death camp. That's the one. He's the Terminator. Shoot him. Be this, this, this movie and The Matrix have a lot in common, right? Post-apocalypse, mm. machines take control. Um, there's a are they real humans or are they machines? You know, there are a lot of lot of those things that these things have in common. And that, I mean, that, it's it's sensible that that it would have to be a fairly muscle-bound looking human because they have that huge skeleton that they've got to cover up. Sure, but right. he doesn't blend in with the crowd very well. No, it's unclear to me if there are humans being kept as pets somewhere else, and they're why why do you build? I mean, I, you'd think that if they're building the Terminators to, like, blend in and fight the humans, that um, they would, like you said, match the humans and not look like big, well-fed, muscly Austrians. Yes. Well, I don't know that they necessarily need to blend in for that long. I think they're uh, just trying to infiltrate. Because really, as soon as it got through the door, it's, you know, the dogs sniffed him out. and uh, he just the dogs, started. yeah. 
he just started firing. He just needed to get through the door. He's under like a cowl or something. But even underneath the cowl, you would expect, you know, the bulging biceps to make themselves pretty <laughs> obvious. Right. Was that huge guy with us when we went out? I'm pretty <laughs> sure he wasn't. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I want some gruel and I got some rat stew waiting for me. So yep. The Terminator gets wounded, by the way, and we have what I think is maybe the grossest thing in this movie, which is the exacto knife to the eyeball. The self-surgery. That's good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say for, for Arnold, uh, say what you will about his acting capabilities, but his vaguely robotic acting is, I think, pretty darn good in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Particularly oh, yeah. in the in the cop car as he's scanning and, and kind of like trying to locate uh, where they're hidden out in the other car. He does a pretty fine job of looking robotic here. I mean, there's some nice subtle makeup work that helps here too, I think, but mm-hmm. he's decent in this movie. He's also much better than um, the fake Arnold head that we see in a couple of scenes. But see, that's what, what I'm saying is they set up that the fake Arnold head. It works a lot better than it should because of the work that he the does earlier in the film, and and also that yeah. makeup work that they have on him in that cop car scene. It, it, right. He he already looks a little fake at that point. Yeah, that's true. The um the pol- the police psychologist who talks to to. Uh, Oh, God, I love Earl Bowen as the criminal psychologist. He's definitely one of those, he's that guy. He well, is a high-quality, grade A, 80s movie douchebag. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is he? Yeah. This This is the same role as William Atherton in Ghostbusters. This is the, the right? Atherton role, yeah. yep. No decade yeah. in film has ever produced more wonderfully smarmy bastards in the 80s. <laughs> he is so good in this. and I, He shows up in the other films, too, as I recall, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I think he's in the oh, second one. I think least. he's in the second and the third. Isn't he Sarah's keeper at the institution in, I think in you're right. Terminator 2? I yeah. think you're right. So yeah. he, he, made a, he made an impact during his short scene. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a, it's a good, you know, he, he is the, uh, just, like, just like William Atherton in Ghostbusters, he is this authority mm-hmm. figure that thinks he knows everything, and in a normal world he would be right, but this is the sci-fi world, and he's completely wrong. He pauses the tape to talk about, I could make so much money. <laughs> Just, you know, taking this guy out on the carnival circuit. These delusions are brilliant. But he never really finds out that he's wrong. Because when I first saw him, I was like, isn't that the guy from the second movie? Yeah. That seems that seems weird. I just assumed that he would get killed. But then he walks out of the police station just as Arnold is coming in. So he gets to go home and, he, you know, he gets to eat up whatever excuse the police end up trying to come up with for, for what happened. Just, you know, terrorists or whatever random generic thing it is. So he can go on believing that he was right the whole time. And when he finally gets to lock her up later on, he's the expert. Yeah, somehow he gets a page, so he has to look down. Down to clear his pager. Well, we're, we're, we're at the uh, we're at that moment now where uh, a visitor pays uh, pays a visit to the police <laughs> what moment station. Moment is that, Jason? <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a classic moment where Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, decides he's going to go in the front door of the police station and just sort instead of instead of the back, see if he could he can check in and provide some ID, and that doesn't happen, and so he wants to reassure the clerk at the front desk that uh, that that he'll be back. <laughs> I think it's very polite of him to do that. Uh, iconic scene for a reason, because it's hilarious. <laughs> it really it's, is. It's got that Indiana Jones shooting the swordsman kind of feel mm-hmm. to it. Well, and the, the funny thing, I mean, people quote the line, but the funny thing is not just that he says, I'll be back. It's that he's back immediately with a car driving right. through the front of the <laughs> yeah. police station. Well, he pulls, so... he pulls back a little and he looks and he kind of sizes up the, the tensile strength of the partition that yep. the desk clerk is hiding yep. behind, which is a nice bit. And then, yes, he's, he's right back. He didn't say how long it would be before he'd be back. Nope. nope. And then there's also that really nice um, 
it seemed extraneous at the time, but it suddenly becomes incredibly important, which is he he can't hurt you here. We got like 30 guys here, which we, <laughs> yeah, we, we proceed to see him kill like all 30 guys. <laughs> Thanks for giving us the body count up front. Yep. yep. We got 30 guys. He can't kill 30 guys. And then the Terminator comes and he just just starts killing all the cops, which <laughs> yeah. which after after the cop massacre is done, there's this uh, a scene where they're looking at the TV and there's this and and I was thinking there's no way that 30 cops would be shot dead in downtown Los Angeles and there'd be like story number three on the local news is, oh, there was an incident at the police station, right? There's no way that would be <laughs> how, how bad were the 80s oh my God. in LA? This, this a, was before the 24-hour news cycle. No, you know. no, if, the, if, if, if 30, <laughs> 30 guys at the police station were, were shot to death, there would well, be Well, isn't it the next scene story. where they're, uh, they're, they're listening to the radio and they talk about like the largest manhunt has been spun yeah. up in California history or something? Mm. Yeah, that's so they tr- get on it fairly fast. Uh, yeah, sure. It just it surprised me that it wasn't quite as um, as a, a freak out as. Well, this is late at night. This is this is uh, this is post John Schubeck time at this point. So they 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 uh, they kill, he kills everybody basically, um, and and uh, then uh, Sarah and uh, and Reese have to escape. And we get uh, another nice little horror scene in there too. As you know, is it the Terminator oh, yeah. outside the door? Outside the door, the shadow outside the door. She's but it's hiding under the desk. It's 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 Kyle Reese instead, and they escape Ring. along with their accomplice, a very rapidly played synthesizer. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of that. Oh my god! <laughs> That's it. You got it. You nailed it. You can be the score. For uh, Terminator 4, dun, 5, dun, 6, dun. whatever. Dun, 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 dun. Genesis. Uh, they end up in an underpass or something. Like an underpass? I don't know. It's an underpass. All mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You hear cars driving overhead. And this is where um, this is where we get the, the another flash forward, right? To yes. future time. Yep. This one's long. Mm-hmm. Another enormous man bursts, bursts in yep. and shoots everybody. Yep. This happens all the time. Filthy people eat gruel. Uh, there are rats that are eaten as well. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's picture burns up. Yes. And we use television sets as makeshift fireplaces. Huh. The future's not so bad. That's right. That's a good bit. <laughs> Honestly, I would I would enjoy that more than some TV shows oh. I've seen of late. <laughs> yeah. It's been that kind of a season. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a little pre-discussion in the uh in the underpass about uh, about what John Connor is like, and uh, there's right. a nice line here where she asks him to describe her son, and and Reese says, "Well, he's about my height," <laughs> which is a nice little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, I really like that she she keeps throughout the whole film. She keeps asking him, you know, talk to me, tell me more things. That is absolutely the kind of thing that would help me through such yeah. a awful situation like that. Just you know, mm-hmm. keep talking, keep my mind occupied, and that seems like a really a simple and realistic thing to do and i i've been trying to think of other films that 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 sort of thing happens and it doesn't happen as often as i feel like it should you get the impression that she has pretty good instincts for survival mm-hmm. i mean she she uh she whips up a pretty good field dressing on his arm on her first try yep. and uh i i assume that part of why she keeps asking for description is because she needs to store it up for use later right she's mm-hmm. already kind of sensing mm-hmm. that she's she's Got the weight of the world on her shoulders, and so she's preparing. Well, and she says, "Do I look like the mother of the future?" But this is this story is in that way. This is this is Sarah realizing who she's going to be 
And it's not like who she needs to be and she has to change who she is. It's like she's capable of doing these things. And so she does them in the future. And it's a it's quite a transformation. I mean, it's not quite as much a transformation as the first time we see her in Terminator 2. But, <laughs> but it's quite a transformation from when she's on that scooter at the beginning to when she's driving into the mountains at the end, I think. Right. Yeah. And she yeah. even says, you know, you're talking about things I haven't done yet in the past tense. It's driving me crazy. It <laughs> is. It's kind of a mind trip, yeah. but she takes it really well. She does a pretty good job of, of kind of having the duality of her character come out in this, because even towards the end where she tells Reese, you know, stand up, soldier. She still mm-hmm. sounds like kind of the cutesy, trendy Sarah Connor of earlier. So right. she's not she's not made the full transition even at that point. So I think she does a pretty pretty good job with this character. She does. I, and one of the other things that I noticed, <laughs> we got all our car chases. Um, yeah. w- watching her toughen up throughout, she even subtly plays it differently when they're in the car doing the chases from from one to the next to the next. Uh, the chase scene at the end when she's driving that that truck, she's driving it with way more determination than she was driving the car earlier. Right. So she just, yeah. but it's it's not over the top. It's not like she's totally perfect at it yet it's it's a it's a believable amount of transformation and she plays it well uh they end up at the motel where she asks like we talked about earlier tell me about the women in your time was there one was there someone no no they're they're good warriors um and then he talks about her picture and how you were a great line you were young like you are now (laughs) (laughs) i love the tenses in the grammar of this film it's you seemed so sad and of course we will see that scene where that picture is taken later in the movie this is the point too where sarah gives her quote unquote mom the hotel phone number so apparently her instincts aren't so good after all Oh yeah, but it, but it gives us that that wonderful pan across the darkened cabin up in Big Bear as we kind of take in that huge shotgun hole in the door and we realize that's probably not Mom talking and then yeah. suddenly it's revealed yeah it's it's the Terminator right, another power of the Terminator right. which we got a little bit of earlier when he he speaks as the cop on the uh, on the radio so little setup there pays off mm-hmm. nicely. Those of you who like Michael Bean, I'm going to say something that maybe you will dislike, but I'm Uh-oh. just going to throw Uh-oh. it out there at this moment, <laughs> having watched the this uh, the this scene between Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean in the motel room. I thought to myself, I think this guy's not very charismatic. Would this mo- would this movie have been more effective if there was somebody who was a bigger star or a bigger personality in this part? Because he seems kind of like a cipher to me. Yeah. Oh, see, I love him. I find him just, he's, he's not over the top. He's not super charismatic. He just, he's a real person. He's a soldier. He's, he's a virgin. I mean, this isn't going to be the kind of guy who's super smooth and comes in and swoops her off her feet. He's just trying to get the job done and make her safe. And I think that in itself, just the fact that he just cares so much is, is much more endearing than it would have been if he was, you know, giving her a wink and a quip or something like that. I I just, I, I liked the way he played the character it was underplayed and for me that completely worked and it's not just because he's dreamy i genuinely like the character (laughs) during other parts of the movie i have some problems with him i I think he could have been a bit stronger as an actor but in this i think Mm -hmm. in this lead up to the love scene i think he's actually pretty good he looks yeah delightfully uncomfortable with what's going on like he's not really sure what to do almost like a little kid who's about to have his first experience you know and I, i think he does that very well Mm-hmm. There are other there are other sequences where I feel like you know maybe a little more emphasis on certain lines would have would have worked. A bit <laughs> I will better. give you that. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 as Jason noted earlier, the "Come with me if you want to live," which turned out to be an iconic line, is is it's kind of a clunker in its delivery. Yeah. It it's an iconic line 
in the second the second movie, film. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's in the second movie because it was iconic from the first. Oh, we, well, yeah, he's fine. I, I just I, I got to tell you, when I think about this movie, I think about Arnold Schwarzenegger and I think about Linda Hamilton, and then I know Michael Bean is the other person in this movie, and I try to picture him. I try to think about his character. I can't. He just doesn't register for me. He is just a blank. And maybe that's good in that you know John Connor is the leader in the future, and if his his dad was this super charismatic guy who's just you know who you know the the mother made this indelible indelible impression on her, and now he's this super charismatic guy who's working for John Connor and is going to get set back in time. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe he does need to just be a foot soldier and kind of anonymous. But as a movie it always has struck me how the other two main characters in this are are uh, immediately come to mind and even like Lance Henriksen and Paul Winfield are more uh, I don't know notable for me than him he just doesn't I don't know there's something about him he just doesn't register for me and I, I think it it works for me exactly because of that because right, the foot soldier thing that he's, he's just yeah another he guy. is someone who should be forgotten I mean not that he should be forgotten but it doesn't make sense if he is this, you know, it's like, oh, well, he made this huge sacrifice. No, he's just a guy. And it would overshadow Sarah and it would overshadow John. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys where kind of in the rest of the movie I, I wanted maybe a little bit more. I, don't know. I think his most painful line read is probably the message he brings back from John Connor. The whole, the whole soliloquy yeah. where he goes into, yeah. you must live so that I can be... It just it doesn't play at all, and and part of that's not his yeah. fault. I think that line actually, frankly, that whole sequence should probably have been scrapped mm. because it makes John seem like a dweeb too. Mm. But mm-hmm. it's it's also I, I, maybe there's no proper way to perform that line as clunky as it is. Well, he's um, Michael Bean is also the um, really the antagonist in James Cameron's movie The Abyss, which I love a whole lot, and I yes. I find him not particularly interesting in that movie either. So and he's actually not tremendously interesting in aliens either, I should point out. <laughs> and yet I like him in all three of those movies. There's something charismatic yep, about yeah. him. Even as he even as he's not a terrific actor, I there's something just in his look. Interesting. It's like it's it's like some sort of weird reverse hidden charisma. I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> but I just I like it. Oh, that only it that only some of us can see. Maybe it's pity. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, I that's my that was that was something that struck me again in in uh, watching that. We yes. we then get things we've talked about, which is there's more uh, more Terminator POV with random code. We did uh, skip over what is probably my favorite line in the movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh. As as Arnold is looking through Sarah's little phone book and finding the mom's cabin phone number and beginning to rot as we see his face is starting to come apart and yeah. flies are are clinging to him and the the custodian wanders by and catches a whiff of him and says, Hey buddy, you got a dead cat in there or what? And that's where we see the POV shot of it trying to select an appropriate response to him. And it finally comes upon, fuck you, asshole. Yeah, yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is wonderful. It's nice to have some lightness in the middle of there the movie. There are ma- many uh, options there of various degrees, which is funny. And he chose, chose just the right one. He picked a winner. The delivery's not so great. Yeah. But the line is good. Well, he is a, he is a, a cyborg from the future. He doesn't know what it means. He's just, you know, picking something out. Right. Well, yeah, it comes back to he doesn't have to carry on the, the masquerade for very long, usually. So the, the voice module wasn't something they had to spend a whole lot of time yeah. on. Yeah. In fact, one, one wonders why they even bothered. Yeah. 
And and he's not used to the colorful metaphors of the past. Ah, uh, yes. Double dumbass mm-hmm. on you and so forth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is already a colorful metaphor yep. of the past. Yes. The, um, this is this is where I have the my action synth pulse music mes- note because it's time it's time for to crank up the synth music and have a a taut car chase. Just hit hit the demo button on the Casio. So so let me tell you. Um, I find it uh, a high degree of difficulty to try and detonate a bomb by looking at the fuse, chucking it out the back of a moving vehicle, and hoping that it hits a guy on a motorcycle dead on. Well, this is why he never comes <laughs> anywhere near. He never it. gets close. <laughs> yeah, I wrote those are some pretty useless pipe bombs at this point. Yeah. And and I'm not even sure why he bothers because it, there doesn't appear to be any shrapnel. There's just a big puff of smoke. Yeah, yeah. That emerges from the pipe bomb. <laughs> He's hoping to just knock him off the bike, maybe. But he'll just get back up and get back on the bike. I don't know. It just provides an opportunity for him to ride his motorcycle dramatically out of the cloud. Yes, that's true. Which is nice. It's a nice scene. Sure, but it's it just works. a really ineffective weapon against the Terminator. <laughs> Although it later proves to be useful, useful twice. But yeah, but not not when chucked from the back of a, a, a truck. Yeah, he should have saved them to use in better circumstances yeah. later, perhaps. Yeah, that's I agree. A uh, better actor would have no. So he does. So the, <laughs> so he does end up. Uh, the Terminator ends up in the gas truck. They flip the the car flips over and and right. uh, he he uh, he flies off his motorcycle and then he gets in the gas truck. Uh, and this is I really like that moment where the Terminator is is uh, hit by the truck. That's a mm. funny. That's a really funny moment. That right. And then he's dragged quite a ways. Too. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Well, and the, the great part of that is it, it tears off another good chunk of his face. So we have yep. that great scene where he gets into the cab and the guy says, let's get out of here. And it's actually Arnold. And yep. we get a good full shot of, of more of the skeleton being revealed under right. the facial. And that's that's good stuff. That's yeah, that's really nice. So so um, so Reese sticks a bomb in the gas truck. And uh, I think this is actually as they're being chased, I should point yeah. out. Yeah. And I think this is a a funny uh, a cool moment where you see Linda Hamilton running and the and the uh, uh, bomb goes off and the gas truck does rain fire down everywhere. It's in the dumpster where Michael Bean is hiding and he has to roll out of the dumpster and stop stop drop and roll <laughs> to extinguish the flames. Uh, I think that, I thought that was really it's it's very clearly a rear projection, <laughs> but uh, I thought that was a really cool. Uh, cool little bit where the where the gas truck. I mean, if you're gonna put a pipe bomb in a giant truck full of gasoline, it better blow up good, and it does. It does. That's a nice explosion. And you're right. You don't usually get that sort of attention to detail where the dumpster is also in flames. Yeah, it's like raining down fire everywhere, and and uh, I like that that he 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 kind of like it, the implication there is that you know you're in there to hide from the explosion and then suddenly your dumpster is on fire and you're like, I got to get out of here. And he Uh-oh. rolls out. Yeah. Got to get out of here. Yeah, we see the Terminator emerge from the cab, take a couple of steps and collapse dead. Sure. He's done. He's, he's done. This time for sure. Unfortunately, <laughs> he is not done. He rises as a Ray Harryhausen yes. style stop motion robot. 
And this is the this is the worst part of the film for me now. I have to say, <laughs> I, I, it actually made me sad because you know it's not bad when it, when it's uh, not his whole body. It's only... well, that's what I'm saying is because they they actually have a model. It looks like they built of the Terminator, and they have him like banging into things for the up close shots. But when it's when mm. it's him sort of limping along with the fire behind him, we're we're totally in Sinbad territory at that point. <laughs> Which is it's it's the reason yeah. it's unfortunate is because I think that's really the only part of the effects that doesn't hold up at all. I agree. They they yeah. and they they try so hard to make a uh, like cinematic. Like the the stop motion robot goes down the hallway and they pan down the hallway and you can the pan you can see that the frames are not in sync. Yeah, uh, because it's stop motion and and it's and you bad. get that scene where they're looking through the doorway as he's coming towards them and you can almost I think in a couple of scenes it almost seems like the perspective goes wrong. Yeah. Like it, it, it looks like those terrible scenes where like they open a door in like a kids show and there's like a western going on outside the door. I don't, I don't know what the alternative <laughs> would be. Whether it would have been like a, almost like a puppet kind of thing where they had it uh, moving, or just edited a little more artfully. But they seemed really, really proud of their Ray Harryhausen style stop motion robot. Well, when and, I watched this in 1984, that didn't stick out. Mm, that I don't remember there being yeah. anything that that was ridiculous looking. Uh, Except maybe the the self surgery scene where it was pretty obvious that it was a a prosthetic face that they were working on, but sure. but but I don't remember anything in this whole sequence of the skeleton chasing after them where where there was anything that I thought looked ridiculous and sadly now it does and in fact I I can hardly believe I'm saying this but I could almost get behind them going back and special editionizing this mm. film just to fix mm. those sequences because the rest of it is still so good. Yeah. In in a way, it adds to the charm because obviously this is still a product of the '80s. Evidence of that is everywhere. But uh, <laughs> it does it does pull you out of it, though. It does a little bit, and I, I feel like if I showed this to the kids, we watched uh, Clash of the Titans not too long ago, and uh, my daughter really oh. enjoyed it, but she was laughing at the stop motion pretty yeah. much throughout. The uh, what, what's great about this is that you know Arnold Schwarzenegger is the star of this movie, but at this point he's gone. It's just a metal robot that's going right. to kill him. And I, I don't love that again. It's like the, the robot has been taking damage and and that's one of the great things about this the the Terminator uh, as a as a villain is that it's taking damage. It's just not affected by it like we would be. And so it just keeps on coming. And now w- when you finally are like, okay, it's on fire, a whole gas truck blew up, it's gone. It's like, yeah. no, now it's just a shiny metal robot that's going to kill you. It's great to really finally get that that confirmation that, yeah, it's been a robot all along. Mm. There, there are no traces of the humanity left at all at that point. And I think that really yeah. drives the point home in that moment. The red eyes is the connection too, where you, you see his, mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger with the one red eye so that when you see the red eyes and the terminator letter later you know you know it's the same and you've just been peeling off the layers as we go plus the design for that skeleton is incredibly good it is Mm. so intimidating looking and it's so shiny and and marvelous looking and the fact that it's it still has a limp from uh from the crash is nice too because it (laughs) maintains almost that human feature but it's it's clearly not at this point yeah it's damaged but it's still coming for them so they run into a factory that's that's full of automated machine robots, <laughs> other robots that are that, how ironic. And they turn it on, and and uh, at this moment, Lauren, Lauren, I said, "Hey, it's robots," and Lauren said, "Hey, buddies, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Terminator, your buddies, it's your guys, it's your it's your, it's your robots, it's your ancestors." Yeah, that was pretty funny. You almost expect him to go down on his knees. That's right. I pay Mom, tribute Dad. to the ancestors. Mm-hmm. 
something like that. Great bottling machine, give me your <laughs> wisdom. That's right. Hydraulic press, how do you do it? How do you stay looking so young? <laughs> I do a lot of push-ups and crunches. So now we have a chase. Erica, here we go again. Now we have a chase in, in, a, in, a, in a factory, in a yes. conveniently located factory. I was honestly, at this point, yes, it was yet another chase, but I, I was more interested by this because it wasn't another It's car not a car chase. chase. No, there's people. This is a horror movie chase a robot. Here. Yeah. It is. It's very much a horror movie chase and it's it's in a much it, more interesting terrain. It's it's three-dimensional. Yes. They have they're going up and down yeah. stairs and there's stuff happening all around them, you know, m- machinery and stuff. So I was I was much more engaged by this than I was any of the car chases in the film. Yeah. It was personal. I agree. Well, this yeah, and this is that that uh horror movie thing and the, the bombs come in handy here. Yeah, this is the point where you realize they've actually been through a lot because we get a shot of Sarah running and her jeans have come untucked from her socks at this point. So you know it's gotten Whoa. bad. That's serious. <laughs> That's pretty serious. Her giant leg warmer-esque socks. And Reese's pants have some stains on them. But, oh, no, that's probably... They were, they were there for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There. That's, that's a feature. Pre-stained. Um, that's stained fu- future, future style, as he calls it. Future style. That's right. This reminds me of home. I'm going to continue to wear these. So he sticks a bomb in the Terminator. He's going to blow the Terminator up. And the Terminator is exploded, and it is dead. Good night, everybody. <laughs> the the end. end. Sadly, uh, Sarah has taken a big piece of terminator in the leg and uh and is uh, kyle is no more her leg seems to be sort of broken so she can't stand and kyle is a goner his eyes are open dead r.i.p old what's his name but wait it's not over but the terminator (laughs) the top half of the terminator survives Yes. And and we get the low speed chase. It's so it's this I really do I I I love this that she's crawling mm-hmm. and it's crawling. Yes. You know and as as false endings go, even now the the bit where the torso comes back to life I think still works quite well. Oh yeah. Because oh, they've yeah. already done the one yeah. false ending and you're not really expecting another. And, and yet it's earned because this thing won't stop, right? So it, it doesn't you don't roll your eyes like, "Oh yeah, right." It's like, "No, of course." It's still Actually, I should say both back in the day both false endings worked pretty well because they did it. They do a good job with the first one. They have the nice woodwind theme that kicks in as Sarah reunites with Reese and they hug and, you know, it's this is clearly the end of the movie and then it rises from the rubble. So that works pretty well. And and then again, you know, the torso comes back to life and at this point Reese is dead, so it's entirely up to Sarah to polish the thing off and it's I, I, it, 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 that, that part still, maybe not the first one, but the second one still worked pretty well on me, even as I was kind of picking out all of the things that don't work anymore in this film. <laughs> this, is a, this is a really fun chase. It's very slow. It's very painful. That w- is kind of what makes it good. She's trying to get away. He, er, the, there's the, um, you know, the little Terminator hand keeps snatching at her foot and she keeps pulling her foot away. So it's like, I, I almost got you. I almost got you again. <laughs> there's a bit, too, that's almost unintentionally funny where she ends up on a conveyor belt. Oh yeah. yeah, and uh, and she's sort of rolling along, dragging herself, and behind her, the, the Terminator torso is just riding. Yep, <laughs> he's not pulling himself along or anything, and he almost has it, he has that sort of skullish grin on his face, and it's almost like he's enjoying it. Whee! <laughs> I'm gonna get you. I love how it's so slow, except for the conveyor belt, which is I I like the conveyor belt because I I just I felt like she deserved that to have like to be able to get a little bit farther uh, without having to do quite so much work, even though of course she's still trying to pull herself along. But I, mm. I it's just it's torturously slow, and it 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 ratchets up the tension for me because I I just feel like 
in, in that circumstance. I mean, I've had a lot of dreams where like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to run, but I can't move very fast. Like you're just being stuck in, in slow motion. And, and I feel like that's exactly what she uh-huh. is because she's been stabbed in the leg. So that, that added terror of, of, you know, you're trying to get away, but you, you can't even function as well as you normally could. It's just that, that's much more fun than a car chase. And there's that wonderfully uh, disturbing moment where she crawls through the drill press and it's about two feet of, of space that she's got to, to, Ooh, claustrophobically so crawl through. Well, and plus it's a press, so it, you know it's, it could. Yeah, it's it, it's sheer and it's flat, and she has nothing to grab grab onto with her hands. So and press kind of, press a button, and it will squish you. That's it too. Yep. We've so, already seen it has a hair trigger, so she gets through it, and uh, the Terminator's following her, and she she presses the button and push the button, <laughs> squish. No, first first she says you're, you're terminated, terminated fucker. fucker, which is a great line, <laughs> and then presses and the then button. she presses the button. <laughs> After a lot, I mean, that's a quick, there's a crazy like crescendo of quick cuts, right? Where it's like, it's coming. She's sitting there. It's coming. She's looking at it. It's, you know, she's, she's settled back and she's got her arm, you know, reaching over for the button and it it all happens so fast. And then she's got uh, her line and presses the button and then it, uh, it gets squashed and it's on, it's hand is on her at that point. It's going to get on her shoulder and it stays there as she passes. Yes. (laughs) I think that that is the moment for me where it all comes together. My favorite part about this film is watching her go from, you know, the the girl who doesn't need to wear a helmet at the beginning because her hair is just that good. Well, to her to hair is the, the helmet, she, to be fair. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, so she's, and then at the end, she's she's gotten through all of this. She's progressed and she's to the point where she's she's quipping uh, before, <laughs> she's, before she's taken out the bad guy. Like that, that is a full arc. I am pleased with it. This, that's that's why I like this movie. She's so much. crossed over. She's quipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, it's an it's an important you know moment in uh, in every action hero's life to uh, to reach that quip phase. It's like puberty. Your first quip. Yep. 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 So at that point, uh, we are in Mexico. <laughs> yes, and and I find myself wondering: was anybody at all concerned about the bits of homicidal futuristic robot that they found in that bottling plant, along with the dead guy and the unconscious girl? <laughs> well, so you know, in Terminator Two, one of the really nice reveals of Terminator Two is that beautiful uh, metal hand that we we don't even think of that much uh, after she crushes the body, but it turns out to be, in true time paradox fashion, the technology that is taken. And leads to the creation of Skynet through the analysis of the advanced Terminator technology. While watching this time, I I did think, you know, also they have the whole crushed killer robot, you know, bits. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And but but the second movie tries to explain this and say that, you know, somehow the scientists were called in by the government or whatever when they found this thing to investigate it. So uh, but this movie is just like. And she crushed the robot. Goodbye. The end. <laughs> In the deleted scenes, there's actually a sequence that I assume was the alternate ending where it's people that work at the factory or the manager of the factory and they find a, a microchip and they say, is this anything you've seen before? And he says, that's uh-huh. way more advanced than we have. And then there's this really cheesy sort of back out of the building and we see that it's Cyberdyne systems uh-huh. that they were chasing each other around mm-hmm. in all nice. along. Instead, we get that payoff in the second movie, which is fun. Yeah, I think that's a time paradox too far. I'm glad they cut yeah. that out because the the, yeah. the John Connor father thing that that you can make logical sense of that <laughs> if you work hard enough. But the the uh, the technology that uh, nobody built <laughs> that just appeared from the future and nobody right. ever got around to actually Never, creating nope. it is bootstrap. <laughs> that's a step too far. That's good. That's good stuff. 
so so Sarah gets some gas in Mexico, and the uh, the nice nice old man who runs the gas station lets her look up words in Spanish when he clearly speaks English just fine. <laughs> um, and a little boy comes and takes her picture. Uh, which is the picture, which is totally not a Polaroid after she takes it. Yes. <laughs> totally wrong margin around the image of yeah. the Polaroid. Uh, but that's the, you know, dun, 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 this is the picture. And uh, she's uh, she's sad because of what's just happened. And Reese has died, but she escaped. And, uh, and then, honestly, the, the line that makes my eyes roll is, there's a storm coming. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I know. I don't get it. I don't like uh, it's, it's, it's it's not even good symbolism. No. So yeah. just yeah, the apocalypse. That's the storm. I, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I I, I would have been fine with yeah one one layer back would have been fine, right? Yeah. Like, be careful, Miss. There's you know it's a bad there's a bad storm coming, and she, and she says something like I'll be ready or I'm not worried or something mm-hmm. like that would be okay. But instead to have her be like, there's a storm coming. Yeah, okay. It's not Whatever. rain I'm afraid of. <laughs> it's robots. It's robots. It's the robot rain. That's right. It's raining robots. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Error, error. <laughs> Acknowledgement to the works of Harlan Ellison. Oh, I have that as my last note, too. <laughs> and, and Curse you. I was going to use that as my exit quote. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good time to acknowledge the works of Harlan Ellison in the creation of this podcast, by the way. Well, yeah, yeah. David, do you, wanna, do you, do you know the story here? So there, there's two episodes of two episodes of The Outer Limits that my... I don't know if we know the facts here. I always assumed that James Cameron saw them when he was young and integrated them into his sort of like worldview of, wow, that was a cool story, and then came up with this story and thought, this is a cool story, and just didn't even connect the dots to the fact that he had seen it. But it's very clearly this movie... I. So so I'd like to believe they didn't like just take those episodes and rip them off, but it was more like they forgot that that's where they got the idea that right. from when they were a kid and they watched mm-hmm. those episodes. Right. And and it's very clearly, I mean, the I, as I recall, the lawsuit was about the episode Soldier, but it really, I mean, this really is a blend of that and Demon with a Glass Hand. Yes. Which, which are the two episodes. And um, they're really good episodes, by the way. Um, Demon with a Glass Hand is just, Fantastic. And they're apparently making it into a big budget movie now. Huh. Um, officially. Haha. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I mean, apparently he had said at the time, oh, yeah, I used to watch The Outer Limits and, you know, it was, it was a big influence on me. And and that's apparently what they seized on and went, ha, now you have to put a disclaimer at the end. Yeah. And give him you have money. To put an acknowledgement and give him money. And there's a gag order. So. Which he completely ignored. Yes. James Cameron came out and said, uh, Harlan Ellison is a parasite who can kiss my ass. Mm. <laughs> He's the strange sort of parasite that gives something to to its host, apparently, which is not, uh, it's a, symbio- not, it's symbiotic. A, not a parasite, as it turns out. And and a better writer. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, you know, I really like a lot of James Cameron's work, but, you know, you cannot go more than about 10 minutes in a James Cameron movie without having some dialogue that makes you cry. Not, <laughs> not in a good yeah. way. Right? Like The Abyss. Yeah. I love The Abyss. There's st- there's some dialogue in The Abyss that is so terrible. But, you know, I, I still love that movie. So <laughs> it's a Cameron thing. So so anyway, Harlan Ellison, you know, gets acknowledged now on all copies of the Terminator for the rest of time. Yep. Because really... Uh, I think through osmosis, basically, they yeah. were inspired by, you know, 
they probably thought like, hey, there was a cool story my friends and I talked about when we were kids. And it turns out, well, it was this episode of The Outer Limits. You didn't invent it. So, oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. But we got the Terminator out of it. So thanks, Harlan Ellison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good no job, doubt. you curmudgeonly old bastard. Yep. Yeah, I just think about it like, you know, songwriting. There's, there are, you know, if you listen to enough music, there's no such thing as a completely new song. There are going to be chord progressions that are going to be similar and you're going to be able to point to, to several of them. So this, this just kind of plays out in that way for me. Anything else about The Terminator before we wrap it up? I still like it. I still like it too. Yeah, me too. Very 80s. Me three. Yeah, I love this movie. I have, I still I have more like I said, I, I wish it, it was a little. To, but... I still yeah, like it. exactly. A little less car chasey, mm-hmm. um, but but mm-hmm. that's really my only big complaint. I honestly don't mind that the, the special effects don't hold up completely all the way through, and that it's it's very dated in eighties. I like that sort of thing. I, I mean, being a Doctor Who fan, I like looking at things as sort of you mm-hmm. know just archaeological sort of. It's like a dig back into the yeah. past. This is oh, this yeah. is what it looked like in the nineteen eighties, and it always will. And and I appreciate that. Well, the reason that that stop motion hurts is just because the rest of it looks so good. Yes, much yes. better than it, it has any match. right to. to no, that for model a low budget film from nineteen eighty four. That robot, the mm-hmm. the robot cyborg skeleton thing, when it's the practical effect in that in those scenes is so mm-hmm. good that it yes. contrasts with the stop motion. Which is all janky. It's too bad because yeah. it's a really that for a, a low budget movie that is a great piece of industrial design, at which they have used again and again now. <laughs> oh yeah, well, and it's, and it's kind of amazing now watching it after having seen you know how many years of mystery science theater and all of these modern eighties movies that obviously it influenced them and they were working with even less of a budget maybe, and you know it's it's sort of like. This this is so close to the edge of not being good, but somehow it is good compared to all of those other, you know, I don't know, Warrior of the Lost World and Alien in L.A. and, you know. Well, that's what the, the trailer makes it out to be is, is yes. almost oh, something yeah. that should have rolled on MST3K years later. Mm. Yeah. So it's amazing that the movie is as good as it was. If I had ever seen the trailer, I probably would have not seen the movie <laughs> until many years later. <laughs> Seeing it now, I just shake my head and laugh. I, I can't yeah. believe anybody actually bought a ticket. There are times when being in a slow movie period is actually a boon, and I think this probably was one of them. I think so. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have come to the end. Uh, we are we are terminated. And <laughs> so, therefore, I would like to say goodbye to my guest, David Lore. Thank you for being here. Thank you, and, and I will be back. Good. As thanks. they say. Well, well pronounced. Erica Ensign, thank you for being here. Oh, you know, the few hours that we had together, we podcasted a lifetime's worth. Oh, boy. <laughs> Beautiful. Steve, and Steve Lutz, um, come with me if you want to live. First, I'm going to rip the buttons off your blouse one by one. <laughs> I feel like we've been here before. Oh, he said it twice in the movie, too. He did. Yep. Yeah. You well, took well, my well, other line. <laughs> and uh, I'm Jason Snell, and this has been The Incomparable. Thank you for listening. We will see you another time. Hasta la vista. <laughs> Wrong movie. Spoilers. I'll be back. That's, that was foreshadowing. <laughs>